0: Hi, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. Before I get started, as I have been trying to do for every chapter here, I will provide a disclaimer. This book, Twelve Years a Slave, is about slavery. Imagine that. Um, Listener discretion is advised. I put this in the show notes. Um, There is some language that might be objectionable, though I don't say all of it uh, because it makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, But the subject matter is definitely um, unpleasant. It makes me angry. I want it to make you angry. It makes me uncomfortable. I want it to make you uncomfortable as well. Um, I have not marked it as explicit because even though it is mature it is not necessarily inappropriate for young ears it is just something that you should you know have discretion with Uh, parents should not have their children listen to this without having knowledge of the book (laughs) themselves Um, whether you've listened to me or read the book yourself or maybe watched the movie i don't know I, i i haven't seen the movie so i don't know how well that would let you know you know the book so yes listener discretion is advised with that said 12 years a slave chapter 12 edwin epps of whom much will be said during the remainder of this history oh okay is a large portly heavy-bodied man with light hair high cheekbones and a roman nose okay of extraordinary dimensions not sure what a Roman nose is, but I know what extraordinary dimensions means. He has a big schnoz. Um, he has blue eyes, a fair complexion, and is, as I should say, full six feet high. He has the sharp, inquisitive expression of a jockey. I'm not quite sure what would make one think that a jockey is particularly sharp or inquisitive. Not that jockeys aren't sharp or inquisitive. I just don't associate that with a jockey necessarily, but I guess Northup does. So there we go. His manners are repulsive and coarse, and his language gives speedy and unequivocal evidence that he has never enjoyed the advantages of an education. (laughs) Oh, I love how people say that sometimes. Um, It reminds me of um... Firefly, the TV show Firefly. I can't remember if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'm a fan. I'm not going to get into all of the stuff that Firefly fans usually do, uh, and deservedly so. Um, but I will say one of my favorite lines. Basically, um, the 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 captain of the ship is talking to an enemy for the for the episode, and he. Um, he, he calls him stupid, but instead of calling him, him stupid, he said some, he says something to the effect of, um, t- to, the effect and affect. I have discussed that one on the podcast before. Um, something to the effect of, um, I get the feeling that you're not over or overburdened or you're not burdened with an overabundance of schooling. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, you're not burdened with an overabundance of schooling. Just, you know, a roundabout way of saying, man, that guy is stupid. Okay. Um, An unequivocal evidence that he has never enjoyed the advantages of an education. I just wanted to read that one again. Oh, his language gives speedy and unequivocal evidence. He has the faculty of saying most provoking things in a in that respect even excelling old Peter Tanner. At the time I came into his possession, Edwin Epps uh, was fond of the bottle, his sprees, in quotes, uh, sometimes extending over the space of two whole weeks. Latterly, however, he uh, he had reformed his habits, and when I left him was as strict a specimen of temperance, as could be found on Bayou Boeuf. When, quote, in his cups, Master Epps was a roistering, blustering, noisy fellow whose chief delight was in dancing with his, quote, N-words. <laughs> Not actually. <laughs> I, it's a, I, I am quoting poorly, I'll put it that way, except it, it, it is in quotes in the book. Um, or lashing them about the yard with his long whip just for the pleasure of hearing them screech and scream as great welts were planted on their backs when sober he was silent reserved and cunning not beating us indiscriminately as his As in his drunken moments, but sending the end of his rawhide to some tender spot of a lagging slave with a sly dexterity particular to himself or peculiar to himself. I always mix particular and peculiar for some reason, Um, a sly dexterity peculiar to himself. So he's really good with a whip, apparently really precise when he's not drunk. He had been a driver and overseer in his younger years, but at this time was in possession of a plantation on Bayou Huff Power, uh, on Bayou Huff Post, um, two and a half. My, by the way, it's two two words. I don't think I said that before. It's H U F F space P O W E R. Um, so I'm trying not to say it like you know Huff Power one word, but. Um, Anyway, two and a half miles from Holmesville, 18 from Marksville, and 12 from Cheneyville. It belonged to Joseph B. Roberts, his wife's uncle, and was leased by Epps. His principal business was raising cotton, and inasmuch as some may read this book who have never seen a cotton field, a description of the manner of its culture may not be out of place. So this reminds me of... (laughs) Um, there's another podcast, uh, um, a, a much bigger and more important podcast, um, called code switch. It's on NPR. Uh, well not on NPR. It's an NPR podcast. And, um, it is, uh, it's about race just straight up. It's about race and like being not white, and um, how that impacts people in society. So if that's not your bag, whatever. Um, if it is, I highly recommend it. Um, it's great for getting some perspective on things. Um, uh, um, and they don't just, like, sit and complain about stuff. They, you know, it's it's researched and and all that. But anyway, they have something that they call um, an explanatory comma and i don't remember where the word came from i don't i don't know if they coined it themselves or um, or if it was already a thing um, there's another podcast um, and I, and i i know this because they interviewed this podcaster um, there's another podcast called politically reactive i don't listen to it. I don't know if I can. I I don't usually talk politics here, so I, I'm not going to recommend a political podcast either. Uh, but like, even if I were just talking with a friend, I don't know if I would recommend politically reactive because I don't listen to it. <laughs> I don't listen to it. Like, I have not listened to it and decided that you know I think it's horrible or something. I just don't listen to it because I listen to so many podcasts um, that. <laughs> i don't have time to add one um but anyway um in politically reactive they call it hold up wait a minute and it's basically like they're interviewing someone and someone will someone either the interviewer or interviewee will say something and then suddenly they you know like in the edit they they're like hold up wait a minute okay let's explain this thing (laughs) um and uh that's usually a bigger deal than the explanatory comma, which might just be a couple of sentences or something. Um, but it's context for people who don't necessarily know what the thing's about. So, um, it's like, and and I don't have any good examples, so I'm just gonna, um, just gonna throw out, uh, something. Um, LeBron James, uh, Uh, basketball player for, oh, Cleveland something. I'm clearly a massive sports fan, aren't I? Um, Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, (laughs) um, And uh, so it's something like um, if you were speaking of LeBron James, okay, I could just say, you know, LeBron James did something today. Or I could say LeBron James – Player for the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers and considered one of the greatest of, uh, players of all time, did the thing. Right? So that's the explanatory comma. So that's kind of what uh, our narrator, Northup, is doing right now, where he's like, okay, so I, you know, there's a cotton field. Well, okay. For those of you who don't know what it's like or, or what cotton is like or, you know, whatever, what was it? The, uh, the manner of its culture, so we're going to find out what that means. So, anyway, here's the explanatory comma. I will not declare that it's over. I'm just going to keep going. But um, okay, the ground is prepared by throwing up uh, beds or ridges with the plow. Back for back furrowing, it is called. Uh, oxen and mules, the latter almost exclusively, are used in plowing. Uh, the women are frequently as the men pr- the, oh, the women as frequently as the men perform this labor feeding uh, currying and taking care of their teams and in all respects doing the field and stable work precisely as uh, do the plow boys of the north the beds or ridges are 6 feet wide that is um, from water furrow to water furrow a plow drawn by one mule, is then run along the top of the ridge or center of the bed, making the drill into which a girl usually drops the seed, which she carries in a bag hung around her neck. Behind her comes a mule and harrow, um, covering up the seed, so that, that two mules, three slaves, a plow, and a harrow are employed in planting a row of cotton. It is done in the months of March and April, Corn is planted in February. When there are no cold rains, the cotton usually makes its appearance in a week. Whoa, that's fast. Um, in the course of eight or ten days afterwards, the first hoe Oh, the first hoeing is commenced. Okay. So, making the appearance just of the plant, it, it sprouts. I, I was thinking, like, it, it, it is grown at that point. I'm like, wow, that's fast. <laughs> um Okay, this is performed in part also by the aid of the plow and mule. The plow passes as near as possible to the cotton on both sides, throwing the furrow from it. Slaves follow with their hoes, cutting up the grass and cotton, leaving hills two, uh, two feet and a half apart. This is called scraping cotton. In two weeks uh, more commences. In two weeks, oh, in two weeks more commences the second hoeing. This time, the furrow is thrown towards the cotton. Only one stalk, the largest, is now left standing in each hill. In another fortnight, it is hoed the third time, um, throwing the furrow towards uh, the cotton in the same manner as before, and killing all the grass between the rows. About the first of July, when it is a foot high or thereabouts, it is hoed the fourth and last time, Now the whole space between the rows is plowed, leaving a deep water furrow in the center. During all these hoeings, the overseer or driver follows the slaves on horseback with a whip, such as has been described. The fastest hoer takes the lead row. He is usually about a rod in advance of his companions. If one of them passes him, he is whipped. If one falls behind or is a moment idle, he is whipped. Um, In fact, the lash is flying from morning till night the whole day long. The hoeing season thus continues from April until July, a field having no sooner been finished once than it is commenced again. In the latter part of August begins the cotton picking season. At this time, each slave is presented with a sack. A strap is fastened to it, which goes over the neck, holding the mouth of the sack, breast high, while the bottom reaches nearly to the ground. Before I forget, um, it mentioned the July thing um, and being about a foot high, and it reminded me, I have heard uh, farmers say um, of corn in particular, knee high by the 4th of July. (laughs) You know, it's got to be. Got to be grown uh, to a certain height by by the 4th of July. Um, some of the people that I've known who've grown corn have been very short, though, and I always wondered if that mattered. Because <laughs> his knees were much farther down than mine. The one in particular. I said some. I'm th- thinking of one in particular. Um, each one is also presented with a large basket that will hold about two barrels. This is to put the cotton in when the sack is filled. The baskets are carried to the field and placed at the beginning of the rows. When a new hand, when unacc- unaccustomed to the business, is sent for the first time into the field, he is whipped up smartly, <laughs> just for fun, I guess, and made for that day to pick as fast as he can possibly. At night, it is weighed, so that his capability in cotton picking is known. Ah, there, are uh, what's, meet, metering, gauging, I can't, that's, those aren't the words I was looking for. Something like that, though. Um, he must bring in the same weight each night following. If it falls short, it is considered evidence that he has been laggard, and um, a greater or less number of lashes is the penalty. An an ordinary day's work is two hundred pounds. A slave who is accustomed to picking is punished, or, or, uh, a slave who is accustomed to picking is punished if he or she brings in a less quantity than that. There is a great difference among them as regards this kind of labor. Some of them seem to have a natural knack or quickness which enables them to pick with great celerity um, and with both hands, while others with whatever practice or industry, are utterly unable to come up to the ordinary standard. Such hands are taken from the cotton field and employed another business. Patsy, of whom I shall have more to say, is uh, or was known as the most remarkable cotton picker on Bayou Boeuf. She picked with both hands, and with such surprising rapidity that 500 pounds a day was not unusual for her. Wow. Each one is tasked, therefore, according to his picking abilities. None, however, uh, to come short of 200, er, of 200 weight. I, being unskillful always in that business, would have satisfied my master by bringing in the latter quantity, while, on the other hand, Patsy would surely have been beaten if she failed to produce twice as much. Uh, the cotton grows from five to seven feet high. Oh, at least you don't have to it down to that one foot. Each stock having a great many branches, though. Well, okay, you still do. I was thinking of, like, corn. It's always been weird to me. Corn basically usually has one ear per stock. Um, I'm sure that there's someone out there who's trying to... Uh, cause sometimes there's two ears. So, sometimes there's an extra, um, but that's usually a fluke. Um, I bet there's someone out there who's trying to breed corn or... Uh, genetically modify corn to have two ears per stock, which would, in theory, double the yield of um, of the whole field, uh, let alone one plant. Um, okay. Um, each stock having a great many branches, shooting out in all directions, and lapping each other uh, above the water furrow. There are a few sites... There are few sights more pleasant to the eye than a wide cotton field when it is in the blue. It presents an appearance of purity, like an immaculate expanse of light new-fallen snow. Sometimes the slave picks down one side, a ro- uh, one side of a row and back upon the other, but more usually there is one on either side, gathering all that has blossomed, leaving uh, the unopened ball- bowls, not balls, Uh, "...for a succeeding picking. When the sack is filled, it is emptied into the basket and trodden down. It is necessary to be extremely careful the first time going through the field, in order not to break the branches off the stalks. The cotton will not bloom upon a broken branch. Epps never failed to inflict the severest chastisement on the unlucky servant who, either carelessly or unavoidably, was guilty in the least degree in this respect." The hands are required to be in the cotton field as soon as it is light in the morning, and with the exception of ten or fifteen minutes, was given, or which is given them at noon to swallow their allowance of cold bacon. They are not permitted to be uh, a moment idle until it is too dark to see, and when the moon is full, they oftentimes labor till the middle of the night." They did not dare to stop even at dinner time, nor return to the quarters, however late it may be, until the order to halt is given by the driver. The day's work over in the field, the baskets are, quote, toted, or in other words, carried to the gin house where the cotton is weighed. No matter how fatigued and weary he may be, no matter how much he longs for sleep and rest, a slave never approaches the gin house with his basket of cotton, but with fear. If it falls short in weight, if he has not performed the full task appointed him, he knows that he must suffer. And if he has exceeded it by 10 or 20 pounds, in all probability his master will measure the next day's task accordingly. So, uh whether he has too little or too much, his approach to the gin house is always with fear and trembling with comma fear and trembling. I'm not sure why there's a comma there. Most frequently they have too little and therefore it is, um, they, oh, and therefore it is, they are not anxious to leave the feet and therefore And therefore it is they are and therefore it is they are not anxious to leave the field. That's probably the best I'm gonna do. After weighing, follow the whippings, and then the baskets are carried to the cotton house, and their contents stored away like hay, all hands being sent in to tramp it down. If the cotton is not dry, instead of taking it to the gin house at once, it is laid upon platforms two feet high, and some three times as wide. Covering, um, or covered with boards or plank, with narrow walks running between them. By the way, um, the gin house probably refers to the cotton gin, um, or the process that the cotton gin does. um, And I seem to remember um, the cotton gin. Like, I used to think that the cotton gin, uh, because it it makes processing the cotton much more efficient. I'm not exactly sure what it does or how it does it. Um, But it's a farm implement. It was, what was it, Eli Whitney? Was was he the inventor? And... um, it was a big deal like the be- marking the beginning of the industrial revolution or one of the major stepping stones in the industrial revolution in america or something like that but um i remember i used to think that it made it easier not ne- not specifically for f- slaves but um and it's like, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's nice. That gets a lot of work done, you know, a, a lot of load off people. Um, no, no, it actually made it worse uh, because it meant it, it, being able to use the cotton gin and process the cotton after it had been picked put way more pressure on the people picking the cotton to produce. Um, so, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Not really, but Um, anyway, Uh, this done, the labor of the day is not yet ended by any means. Each one uh, must then attend to his respective chores. One feeds the mules, another the swine, another cuts the wood and so forth. Besides, the packing is all done by candlelight. Uh, Finally, at a late hour, they reach the quarters, sleepy and overcome with the long day's toil. Then a fire must be kindled in the cabin, the corn ground in the small hand mill and supper and dinner for the next day in the field prepared. All that is allowed them is corn and bacon, which is given out at the corn crib and smokehouse every Sunday morning. Each one receives as uh, his weekly comma allowance. I'm not sure there was supposed to be a comma there. Three and a half pounds of bacon and corn enough to make a peck of a meal. Um, Oh, a peck of meal. I know there's a bushel and a peck. I don't know how much a peck actually is. Um, That is all. No tea, coffee, sugar, and with the exception of a very scanty sprinkling now and then, no salt. I can say uh, from a 10 years residence with Master Apps. Oh, it was a while. That no slave of his is ever likely to suffer from the gout superinduced by excessive high living. <laughs> Again, kind of a roundabout way. It's like, oh, he's not going to get gout. Uh, but you know, a roundabout way of insulting um, Epps. <laughs> Master Epps's hogs were fed on shelled corn. It was thrown out to his n words quote it's weird because he doesn't always do well i guess usually it's like in it is a quote that someone is saying that, that the word appears so um in the it was thrown out to his n words in the ear uh, the former he thought would fatten faster by shelling and soaking it in the water the latter perhaps if treated in the same manner might grow too fat to labor Uh, Master Epps was a shrewd calculator and knew how to manage his own animals, drunk or sober. Note, he didn't say animals and hands or and people. He considers the slaves animals. The corn mill stands in the yard beneath the shelter. It is like a common coffee mill, the hopper holding about six quarts. Uh, There was one privilege which Master Epps granted freely to every slave he had. They might grind their own corn. er, Or the... They might grind their corn nightly in such small quantities as their daily wants required, or they might grind the whole week's allowance at one time on Sundays, just as they preferred. A very generous man was Mr. Epps! exclamation point, And extremely sarcastic. <laughs> I kept my corn in a small wooden box. The meal in a gourd... And, by the way, the gourd is one of the most convenient and necessary utensils on a plantation. Besides supplying the place of all kinds of crockery uh, in a slave cabin, it is used for carrying water to the fields. Another also contains the dinner. Uh, it dispenses with the nece- er, the necessity of pails, dippers, basins, and such tin and wooden su- superf- Um. Okay, so... It's from superfluous, superfluous, I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced, superflu, fluidities, superfluity, superfluities, superfluities, there we go. Unnecessary things. (laughs) Um, Also kind of sarcastic sounding, by the way. Uh, when the corn is ground and fire is made, the bacon is taken down from the, um, okay, before, <laughs> um, by, su- uh, su- uh, I'm doing it again. Sup- Super fluid, Yeah. Th- okay. So that whole thing reminded me, there's a lot of podcasts that start with, a. Uh, they call it cold open. Where it's like a clip from, you know, some somewhere in the podcast. So, it, you know, it opens with that and then it goes to the other stuff. And I, I, usu- I just do a, you know, hi thing. Um, I mostly get that from Mike Duncan of Revolutions. Um, he's like, hello and welcome to Revolutions or something like that. He, he t- usually doesn't even say his name. Um, but uh, and, and I mean, uh, other podcasts do something similar, too. And I've just kind of picked it up from there. Um, but I've thought about doing cold opens sometimes. Um, and, you know, if there's something like that where I just completely mess it up. Um, so if anyone wants to give me some feedback, I'll mention how later, but, um, if you want to say something great, uh, and, you know, say, it's like, yeah, it'd be fun to have cold opens once in a while, or no, it, you know, it's not part of this show. Don't do cold opens. I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, feedback is good, right? Um, Okay. Uh, When the corn is ground and the fire is made, the bacon is taken down uh, from the nail on which it hangs, a slice cut off and thrown upon the coals to broil. The majority of slaves have no knife, much less a fork. They cut their bacon with the axe at the woodpile. Oh, that's interesting. The cornmeal is mixed uh, with a little water placed in the fire and baked. When it is, quote, done brown, the ashes are scraped off, okay, and being placed upon a chip, uh, which answers for a table, the tenant of the slave hut is ready to sit down upon the ground to supper. So it's basically a cornmeal pancake. There's a name for that. A cornmeal pancake. I swear there's a name for that that's not just cornmeal pancake. And it's going to bother me that I'm not thinking of it right now. Hoe cake. Isn't that what a hoe cake is? Okay, I'm gonna look this up. I'm pulling out my phone. I don't usually do this. I and if I do I usually cut it out, but right now I'm narrating. Um yep, hoe cake or a Johnny Cake. Um yeah. Pretty much, it's a, it's a cornmeal flatbread and looks like a pancake. So there we go. I'm sure they taste much better now. Uh, better, better meal, better vessels, and probably, you know, maybe, a little, uh, other stuff. Some baking powder for leavening, that kind of thing. But makes me want to make a hoe cake now. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Um, The same fear of punishment with which they approach the gin house possesses them again on lying down to get a snatch of rest. It is the fear of oversleeping in the morning. Such an offense would certainly be attended with not less than 20 lashes. With a prayer that he may be on his feet and wide awake at, at the first sound of the horn, he sinks to his slumbers nightly. The softest couches in the world are not to be found in the log mansion of the slave. Well, yeah. Um, the one whereon I reclined year after year was a plank 12 inches wide and 10 feet long. My pillow was a stick of wood. The bedding was a coarse blanket and not a rag or shred beside. Uh, moss might be used where it or were it... Not that it directly breeds a swarm of fleas. Yeah. Um, the cabin is constructed of logs without floor or window. The latter is altogether unnecessary, the crevices between the logs admitting sufficient light. In stormy weather, the rain drives through them, rendering it comfortless and extremely disagreeable. The rude door hangs on great wooden hinges. In one end um, is constructed an awkward fireplace hyphenated for some reason fire dash place an hour before uh, an hour before daylight two words the horn is blown then the slaves arouse prepare their breakfast fill a gourd with water um, in another deposit their dinner of cold bacon and corn cake and hurry to the field again it is an A fence, invariably followed by a flogging, to be found at the quarters after daybreak. Then the fears and labors of another day begin, and and until it's closed there is no such thing as rest. He fears he will be caught lagging uh, through the day. He fears to approach the gin house with his basket load of cotton at night. He fears when he lies down that he will oversleep himself in the morning. Shut, such is a true, faithful, unexaggerated picture and description of the slave's daily life during the time of cotton picking on the shores of Bayou Boeuf. Okay, I am going to say that that explanatory comma is over because that was really long. Okay. In the month of January, generally, the fourth and last picking is completed. The Then commences the harvesting of the corn. Uh, this is, con- I guess, cotton just grows you know, just, just keeps growing blooms or something, you know, like corn, you have an ear of corn, you take the ear off and then it's done. <laughs> yeah. The stock is gone and it's used for feed, but, um, this corn is considered a secondary crop and receives far less attention than the cotton. It is planted as already mentioned in February. Corn is grown in that region for the purpose of fattening hogs and feed. Corn is ground, uh, ground. Corn is grown in that region for the purpose of fattening hogs and feeding slaves. Very little, if any, being sent to market. It is the white variety, the ear of great size, and the stalk growing to the height of eight um, and often times ten feet. In August, the leaves are stripped off, dried in the sun, bound in small bundles, and stored away as uh, provender for the. I don't know that word, but I assume it's feed, for the mules and oxen. After this, the slaves go through the field, turning down the ear for the purpose of keeping the reins from penetrating to the grain. Uh, it is left in this condition until after cotton picking is over, whether earlier or later. Then the ears are separated from the stalks and deposited in the corn crib while the, or with the husks on. Otherwise, stripped of, of the husks, the weevil would destroy it. The stalks are left standing in the field. The Carolina, or sweet potato, is also grown in that region to some extent. They are not fed, however, to hogs or cattle, and are considered but of small importance. Interesting that it says uh, hogs or cattle, because before it only said hogs or slaves. They are preserved by placing them upon the surface of the ground with a slight covering of earth or corn stalks. There is not a cellar on by a Boeuf. Uh, the ground is so low it would fill it with water. Uh, yeah, the water table. Potatoes are worth from two to three, quote, bits or shillings a barrel. Corn, except where there is an unusual scarcity, can be purchased at the same rate. As soon as the cotton and corn crops are secured, the stalks are pulled up, thrown into piles, and burned. The plows are started at the same time, throwing up the beds again uh, preparatory to another planting the soil in the parishes of uh, Rap- oh. <laughs> words I've said before in this book and do not remember how I pronounced them. So it's not going to be consistent. Um, the parishes of uh, rapidus and avialis and throughout the whole country. So far as my observation extended is of exceeding richness and fertility it is a kind of marl of a brown or reddish color. It does not require those invigorating composts necessary to more barren lands. And on the same field, the same crop has grown many successive years. That is a bad thing. You should rotate. Because <laughs> eventually you're going to leech it dry of everything good. But whatever. Plowing, planting, picking cotton, gathering the corn, and pulling... Uh, and pulling and burning stocks occupies the whole of four seasons of the year. Drawing and cutting wood, pressing cotton, f- fattening and killing hogs are but incidental labors. In the month of September or October, the hogs are run out of the swamps by dogs and confined in pens. On a cold morning, generally about New Year's Day, they are slaughtered. Each carcass is cut into six parts and piled one above the other in salt upon Large tables in the smokehouse. So I want to mention, um I've been curious about this uh, the use of the term bacon, because uh, you know he keeps saying, uh, we get bacon. Now, obviously, um, if it's basically the only thing you eat, as much as the internet likes to pretend that that's the best thing in the world. It's not going to be the greatest thing, but my guess is that it's not even bacon as we think of it. It's probably just, you know, like salted pork and it could be any part of the pig. Um, bacon comes from the belly pork belly, um, and it's cured and then smoked. Um, but this is probably just preserved, you know, salt, salted pork of from wherever. Um, I'd be curious to find out, but I don't know for sure. Um, but the, the each carcass is cut into six parts. Made me think of that. Um, okay. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and piled one above the other in salt upon large tables in the smokehouse. In this condition, it remains a fortnight when it is hung up and a fire built and continued more than half the time during the remainder of the year. This thorough smoking is necessary to prevent the bacon from becoming infested with worms. Yes, bacon is a preservation technique, or smoking is a preservation technique, so is salting. In so warm a climate, it is difficult to preserve it, and very many times myself and my companions have received our weekly allowance of three pounds and a half when it was full of these disgusting vermin. Um, Ill-prepared bacon. (laughs) Although the, swamps were, or, uh, although the swamps are overrun with cattle, they are never made the source of profit uh, to any considerable extent. The planter cuts his mark upon the ear, or uh, brands his initials upon the side, and turns them into the swamps to roam unrestricted within their almost limitless confines. They are the Spanish breed, small and spike-horned. I have known of droves being taken from Bayou Boeuf, but it is... A very rare occurrence. The value of the best cows is about $5 each. Two quarts at one milking would be considered an unusual large quantity. They furnish little tallow um, and that of a soft, inferior quality. Tallow is um, uh, uh, beef fat. Like lard is pork fat. Schmaltz is chicken fat. Tallow is beef fat, but it's, um, I mean, sometimes it's used for cooking, but, um, I know it's also made, it, it was for like candles or something. I can't remember exactly, but wasn't there a, I want to say there was an episode of the Dresden files that, yeah, this is a weird poll, um, where there was something made out of tallow and it was a big deal somehow. Like the object was a big deal. I don't know if it was a big deal that it was made out of tallow, but um, okay. Notwithstanding the great number of cows that throng the swamps, the planters are indebted to the north for their cheese and butter, which is purchased in the New Orleans market. Salted beef is not an article of food either in the greenhouse or in the ca- or the great house or in the cabin. Master Epps was accustomed to attend shooting matches for the purpose of obtaining what fresh beef he required. These sports. I, I, wow, I inflected that really weird. Master Epps was accustomed to attend shooting matches for the purpose of obtaining what fresh beef he required. These sports occurred weekly at the neighboring villain village of Holmesville. Uh, Fat beeves. I'm not sure what a beeve is are driven thither and shot at, (laughs) a stipulated price being demanded for the privilege. The lucky marksman divides the flesh among his fellows, and in this manner the attending planters are supplied. The great number of tame and untamed cattle which swarm the woods and swamps of Bayou Boeuf most probably suggested that appellation to the French, inasmuch as the term, translated... Uh, signifies the creek or river of the wild ox. Let me read that again. The great number of tamed and untamed cattle which swarmed the wolves and swamps of Bayou Boeuf uh, most probably suggested that appellation to the French, and as much as the term translated signifies uh, the creek or river of the wild ox. Got it, Bayou Boeuf, beef, you know, walking around. Um... I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. You know that, but I'm pronouncing it booth. That one I'm consistent with, at least. Garden pro- pro- projects, products such as cabbages, turnips, and the like are cultivated for the use of the master and his family. They have greens and vegetables at all times and seasons of the year. The grass uh, wi- withereth and the flower fadeth. Uh, before the desolating winds of autumn in the chill northern latitudes. But perpetual uh, verdure overspreads the hot lowland. I seem to remember verdure being one of the words that I looked up in a previous uh, book. But, you know, like growing things. Overspreads the hot lowlands and flowers bloom in the heat of winter. Um, in the heart of winter, in the region of Boeuf. Uh, there are no meadows appropriated to the cultivation of grass of the grasses. The leaves um, of the corn supply a sufficiency of food for the laboring cattle, while the rest provide for themselves all the year in the ever growing pasture. There are many other peculiarities of climate, habit, custom, and of manner of living and laboring, at the South, but the foregoing it is supposed, will give the reader an, an insight and general idea of life on a cotton plantation in Louisiana. Uh, the mode of cultivating cane and the process of sugar manufacturing will be mentioned in another place. Okay. Well, that is it for Chapter 12, so if you like what I do... Uh, rate and review on iTunes, subscribe um, on iTunes or any other platform of your choice. If I am not available on a platform of your choice, let me know. Reach out. I will see if I can get on them. I know I have had to manually do it for a couple. So um, you can reach out either on Twitter at reading poorly or email uh, reading comma poorly at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. R E A D I N G P O O R L Y. No, I totally messed that one up. R E A D I N G C O M M A P O O R L Y at gmail.com. I got cocky, didn't I? Okay. Um, uh. Yes, uh, reach out for comments, constructive criticism, uh, suggestions for books, uh, letting me know if you think a cold open would be a good idea once in a while. I probably won't do it every time. I'm not sure that I say such interesting things every time. But um, yeah, or at least such a uh, shocking, I, I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> not shocking. You have to have something worth putting at the front if you're going to put something at the front, right? But Anyway, uh, I think I'm done with all that, so I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly.